Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock their potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we have another great guest. He is somebody I recently connected to at an event. And when I heard him speak, I was really, I was very shocked. I was I gravitated to his message and I did a deep dive and found out more about what he does. And I was very fascinated with what he does, his journey, and also what he's doing right now, which is, I found, was a shocker. It was a big twist as to what he used to be doing. Uh, that's why I really wanted him on my show. Uh, he calls himself the happily former CEO in the field of uh, financial securities. Uh, so much so he's an expert in that area where he is a, on so many different board of directors from the university level to professional levels. Um, he also helped create the bachelor program in uh, financial planning at the University of Utah Valley. Uh, nowadays, he consults, he, he speaks, he lectures all over the place um, on business and investing as well. But not only that, he spends a lot of his current time on, wait for it, chill, children's books. Like, I didn't even think that that was a, a natural path, but he actually went there. So I'm very fascinated about that. About that. And with children's books, he's creating those stories that are positive and also productive to really motivate and encourage kids to follow their dreams, which is something that's very, very important. So please welcome award-winning author and also the happily former CEO, Mr. Craig Porter. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Fong. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you and, and very excited about this. And and I, too, very, uh, very interested in what you've been doing and, and all the things you I mean, best selling author. My gosh, it's uh, author to author here, which is always fun for me. But thank you awesome. for having. Well, thank you very much for being here. It's always a joy speaking to other people who's uh, very successful in what they do. And uh, for you, you're an expert in financial securities. So uh, share with us that journey. How did you go from what you were uh, from uh, deciding on a career and how did you get into financial securities and then all of a sudden children's books? Um, I, uh, you know, it's, uh, I have to go back to my grandmother. Uh, my, my grandmother, when I was young, uh, she was an entrepreneur and uh, she kind of took me under her wing at a very young age and doing things as simply as, I mean, I remember five and six years old. Uh, she had a beauty shop and she had some rental properties. Uh, she had, a, she was an entrepreneur and, uh, I would help her count out the money at the end of the day. So here I am five, you know, five, six years old, counting out the ones, the fives, the tens, the twenties, the change, uh, we'd get the little binders and, and roll the coins in the little coin, uh, uh, sleeves. And, and then my job was, uh, now this is shocking to me, but we lived in a small town, Southwestern Kentucky. We lived in a very small town. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, but at six years old, she was allowing me to take the deposit to the bank and put in the night deposit box slip. <laughs> so a lot of responsibility at a very young age. But it, it kind of made me realize that uh, at that very young age that money made the world go around. And so uh, as I as I got older and uh, realized that uh, I, I enjoyed numbers and I enjoyed uh, business and, and learning all those things that go along with it. Uh, I kind of gravitated towards uh, wanting to be my own boss. And uh, I found that the fastest way to do that uh, for me was finance. So uh, I, got a, I got one of my very first jobs uh, back uh, at the tender age of 22 years of age. Uh, and uh, I right out of college and uh, 
uh, went to work on the precious metals desk for a small firm and sold uh, gold and silver and you know precious metals and boy that was uh, that was an uh, introduction into the world of finance and investing uh, because that's a product that absolutely has to be sold. <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, continued, uh, continued with that, uh, got fortunate enough to meet the right people and got my securities licenses and uh, became a financial advisor and built a fairly successful company. And uh, when everything was said and done, we actually, uh, by the time I had retired, we were managing somewhere in the neighborhood of about a quarter of a billion dollars uh, in assets for clients. Uh, the firm is now grown beyond that and is bigger and has more employees, but I am a, I am a very happily former CEO. Uh, I don't, I don't, I miss the camaraderie, the day-to-day of, of working in the financial field and, and doing those things. And, uh, but I don't miss the, uh, what I called adult babysitting. I, I got tired of the adult babysitting, um, but it was good. It was a good journey. And then, uh, you know, getting into children's book, actually, I felt like there was a big lack of positive, inspiring stories for children that drove them to like what my grandmother did with me, uh, instilled curiosity uh, about how the world worked or how certain aspects of the world work. Um, and so my stories are all geared towards uh, trying to be positive, and, and we've been very fortunate. This first book kind of has blown us out of the water uh, with its uh, with what's being said about it and some of the awards that it's won. So that, in, in a nutshell, that's my journey. It started with my grandmother, and uh, and I loved I loved helping people. Awesome. I really loved helping people, and even as a financial advisor, uh, uh, it was all about getting our clients from point A to point B. And point B being whatever their financial goals were. And sometimes having to tell our clients that, you know, you can't necessarily get to point B from where you're at. So <laughs> we need to maybe formulate a new plan. So there was a lot of that uh, that went on in, in some of the planning and, and securities that I did uh, uh, growing up. Wow. Or in the industry. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, how many people can say that at the age of six, they were already dealing with other people's money? Like, right, right. <laughs> you were already on your path to becoming a financial securities person at the age of six. I mean, it's it's amazing that it was exactly what you wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, it, it just clicked. I was very fortunate. It just clicked. And again, I, I really give a lot of uh, uh, credit to my grandmother because she she took me in and introduced me to the banker and took me to city hall and introduced me to the mayor and took, I mean, she would take me around town and introduce me to people and, and kind of taught me the, the right way to meet people and, and uh, showed me how to be respectful and, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I mean, uh, I was, I was the quintessential little Southern boy with, with all the, with all the uh, politeness and charm and, and, and Southern hospitality that went along with it. What, was there any point in that journey where you, all of a sudden got a, a, a shocker as to what really happens? Or have you been experiencing what really happens even at the age of six and understood it all kind of thing? No, I, I would say, no, I wish, I wish it would have been that simple. That shorted, shortened my learning curve a, a great deal. Uh, but um, I think what one of the big shockers for me, uh, and, it, and it happened um, probably in my teens, uh, was when I realized that 
uh, unlike a lot of the people that I met uh, in my small town uh, at a young age, and granted that that is uh, not indicative. I mean, I, I was very capsulated. I mean, it was a small community, so right. everybody knew everybody. But I think when I when my family moved and I moved to a much larger city, and um, had uh, uh, interactions with people that were less reputable. That that first time I had a dealings with someone who wasn't completely honest with me, uh, set me back. And I remember having to deal with that. And I also remember uh, uh, going back and thinking, okay, I have a decision. I can either continue to be honest or I can uh, play like everybody else seems to be playing. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know what, I, I got to take the higher road because I, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to keep it all straight if I wasn't honest with people. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, something my grandmother told me. She taught me that my, grand, my grandparents raised me pretty much, but they taught me that, you know, it's real hard to keep track of a lie, but if you're telling the truth, it's simple. And, and, and that kind of stuck with me. And so when I, I realized that not everybody was going to be honest in their dealings with me, uh, I became more cautious. And I think that's, you know, that, that first moment you become a bit jaded in, in mm-hmm. life is when someone doesn't deal with you the way you feel like they should have. Uh, and you, we all have a choice. At that point in time, we all have a choice. We can, we can exercise our integrity and say, all right, that was terrible. That was terrible. That happened to me. Uh, I have a choice. I can become like the thing I hate if that makes me feel like I, I, that's how I'm going to cope, or I can take the higher road and say, I'm, I'm just going to keep being who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and fortunately for me, uh, I made the decision to just keep being who I was in the face of, of adversity and those that uh, weren't always going to be completely honest with me. And then as I got older, of course, more of those interactions were, were that way. And you, you realize not everybody is going to treat you squarely. Not everybody is going to treat you fairly. And, and a lot of it uh, I've learned as I've gotten older is, is perspective. You know, what one, what, what one person's truth isn't necessarily another's, you know. So it, it becomes a matter of choice for the individual. How am I going to behave regardless of how others uh, act towards me? Mm-hmm. Now, so, when, when you mentioned that, yeah, business and and dealing with investments and people's money and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it's, it's very difficult and people might be lying to you. They, they may not be honest with you. Yeah. Now you've talked about sometimes that's just how the game was played. Um, yeah. You went yeah. with the approach of, you know what, I'm going to try and change that game. Yeah. But sometimes when you want to change that game, you hit that barrier all the time. All so the time. At, at what point do you go, you know what? I, I can't change that game or I'm going to stick with what I want to do and make people kind of follow suit kind of thing. Like how do you go I, through that I, mental challenge? Well, and I, th- I think what you just said is, is, is the point it's you decide that I, I can't change everybody. You, you, you realize you can't, people are going to be who they are and not everybody was raised the same and not everybody's had the same influences in their life. Uh, uh, you know, and people that have had great influences choose to do bad things. And people who have had terrible things, influences on them, choose to be great people. Uh, but it's choice. I think really what it boils down to is that we each have a choice. Every single day, we have a choice. Every, every opportunity that presents itself to us uh, is, is a choice of how we're going to act or interact or react. 
And, and I, I chose, I chose a path for me that I, I just, it was just easier for me to keep it all straight. And I felt like if I, if I took every single day with the attitude of I'm going to do the best I possibly can for the people that I, I work with or come in contact with, uh, then I have less to worry about keeping me up at night. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very simplistic Fong. I mean, yeah. it really is, but that's, that's, that's the simplest answer is it became a matter of, you know, I need to go to sleep at night. And if I'm not treating someone well, or if I'm not doing what is be- in their best interest, if I'm doing what's in my best interest, and yet I have a fiduciary responsibility to that client, specifically speaking, you know, client relationships, then, then I can't sleep at night. So I have to do what is best. I have to do what is right. And that is sometimes, unfortunately, telling the client no. You know that that has happened on a few times, and I've even I even had to I've had to fire clients over things before where I said I, I just can't do that for you. What you're asking me to do, I just can't do. Right. Uh, but I'm sure you can find someone out there that will be more than happy to do that for you, and just be aware that you may not have the experience you think you're going to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's just, it's a matter of exercising integrity at that moment of choice. Mm. Uh, and I just, I just wanted to sleep at night without being <laughs> I, interrupted. I, I think there's a lot of people out there who goes, you know what? It's a client. I can't fire my client. I need that client. I really, really need it. And yeah. for you to choose your client and sometimes to realize you need to fire them and not yeah. have them probably makes it a, a lot easier on on yourself and more productive and you could actually spend more time on the clients you really want to work with kind of thing right I, yeah i mean the the real i mean when i had that realization that i actually could fire my clients uh that was <laughs> one of the, yeah that was liberating it really was it was liberating because again um it was it, it got to be my choice and, and, and when you're early on in your career especially in finance um, and securities. Um, it's scary because every client becomes so precious to your bottom line. Um, and, and I remember, um, I was, you know, one of my first, one of my first clients I ever had to do that with was fairly early in my career. And it was, uh, oh, it was, it was, uh, stressful. (laughs) It was very stressful. Uh, but then it got easier once I realized that I was putting myself in a, in a much better situation, um, not only mentally, but also financially, because I, I once I did that, I started holding my clients to a bit of a higher standard mm-hmm. and, and myself to a bit of a higher standard. And that really kind of changed the game for me in business was was that I said, you know, I don't have to take every single person as a client. And I'm not looking for every single person as a client. I want to find the right person that I can do the best for and that will appreciate my efforts on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Now, you've worked with so many different people and uh, so many different types of people. Do you have a, a sense now? Like, is it a gut feel? It's like, yeah, some, something's off with this person. Or do you have a series of questions or kind of... Um, um, checklist or something to kind of go, you know what, this is workable. I could spend more time with this one. Ah, this one's up. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you do develop a sense. Um, I mean, and I think we, we all have an innate ability to, to uh, what's the word I want to use? Judge is, is too harsh. 
but to ascertain whether or not that is somebody that we should be hanging out with. And, and we may not recognize it when we're younger. Uh, we, we don't understand. Uh, as we get older and we have more interactions with people and we develop more of our own social skills, um, we, we develop a, a more keen insight of our, you know, trusting your gut. And, and that is so very important in life because if you, if you have an inkling or a feeling and you can't quite describe it, you can't quite put your finger on why you're feeling the way you are, um, I always go, okay, I got to take a day and think about this. I got to sleep on it. Uh, there, there's something that's not quite checking out. And I find that when I let my mind rest and not think about it, um, ultimately an answer reveals itself. Or if it doesn't, and I'm still not quite 100% comfortable, I'll, I'll table that. I'll, I'll table that relationship. I'll table that client. I'll, I'll table it and circle back around to it to a little bit later. Uh, and I've, you know, when I've not listened to that little voice inside of myself, that, that gut check voice, mm-hmm. uh, I've always, it's always cost me. Uh, so I've kind of learned over the years that to pay attention, uh, pay attention to that little, that little whisper, that little gut check feeling, that little bit of something doesn't seem right. If I feel that, then I go, okay, I've learned to recognize it better now. And I think that comes with practice. You know, unfortunately, it comes with practice. You have to meet a lot of people that that aren't being quite upfront with you, uh, and so you just have to learn to to figure it out. And you know, I've gotten better too at realizing that sometimes it's not so much that they're trying to hide something from me that's nefarious. Uh, it's more of they're not quite comfortable enough with me to share that information. And, and you'll get a sense of that too. And that's usually when I'll start asking more questions. Uh, and, you know, in the financial services industry, we had to put people through a fairly lengthy interview process to find out exactly what it is that they were trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and, and how much they understood. Uh, because, you know, you're in, in, my, in my particular field, in our, my particular company, uh, we weren't looking for a client. We weren't looking for a transaction. We were looking for a partnership. We were looking for someone that we were going to be dealing with. And, and, and we were fortunate enough in my career, I was fortunate enough to get to the point where I was actually managing grandchildren's money, uh, which is, you know, that says a lot because not only were you taking care of mom and dad, now you were taking care of the kids and then you were taking care of their kids. And, and so that becomes that's not transactional. That's not transactional business. That's a, that's a business relationship. That's a professional relationship where you have now become a trusted advisor, not only to the individual, but in a lot of cases in my industry, uh, you became a trusted advisor to the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, every major event in that family that dealt uh, something with finance, whether it was uh, you know, college education or a wedding or a funeral, uh, you, you became a part of that family. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, you have to learn to trust your gut. You have to learn to trust your own intuition. Mm-hmm. And, and that is something, it's like a muscle. It's something that you can develop and get better at. And mm-hmm. unfortunately you, you got to deal with some stinkers in life <laughs> so that you can, uh, you know, get a sense of, of whether or not somebody's being upfront with you and then learn, is this just negative and I need to bypass this and go to the next thing? 
or is this something where maybe I should ask more questions and then make a determination at that point? Mm -hmm. But that's true in anything. I mean, Fong, that's that's true in any any career, any business, any aspect of life. Uh, you know, ask some questions. And if you can't come to the resolve that you're looking for, maybe it's time to table that for a time mm -hmm. and then come back and revisit it, whatever it may be. Uh, you mentioned before how important having perspective is, uh, being able to understand where people are coming from, being in their shoes. But for lots of people, they don't understand how to have that perspective. So how does one gain perspective? Um, well, there, there's there's a couple of ways to do it, I guess. Uh, there's, there's the way that most of us do it, and that's through trial and error, uh, just living life and making mistakes and, you know, and, and just stumbling forward into life. Uh, you know, in this, in this era where we have so much information available to us, uh, you know, via the Internet and, and, and uh, you know, all social media, which is a good place. That's a good place to learn what not to do is social media. <laughs> uh, but you'll you find that. Um, there's a lot more ways to, to gain insight and gain information. I think uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing growing up, I, I developed a, uh, an intense reading, a love for reading uh, growing up. And I would read everything I'd get my hands on. And I started realizing that if you pay attention to some of the stories that you're reading, especially if they're autobiographical uh, or they're you know, more of a real life story, there is experience within those those stories to help glean from and and i think the people that can that have the ability to read a story and then actually take something that they learn from that that story and and use it in real life are the ones that can shorten the learning curve on that intuition on how to deal with people and gain perspective because uh, a lot of it i that's what i did i mean i read i read a lot of the I read a lot of uh, historical biographies and mm -hmm. and um, and found that uh, a lot of wisdom was gained by reading what happened to those men and women in different times. And the, the funny thing about people, even though the times may change and the technology may change, people are still pretty much the same as they were a thousand years ago mm -hmm. when it comes to inter interpersonal relationships. Uh, it's just it's just that we're moving so much faster now. Everybody feels like they're missing out on something. And, and I think that I think that when we take a moment and step back and, and look at history and look at these stories, whether it's something that happened last year or something that happened 200 years ago, uh, there's a lot of information to be gleaned and a lot of perspective uh, to be appreciated and, and learning that there are different perspectives. Uh, that, that, you know, like I said earlier, uh, you know, one person's truth is their truth based upon their perspective. Mm -hmm. And, and so learning to realize that what you believe as, as adamantly as you do, somebody else may look at that from a completely different perspective and, and think that you're crazy. And yet, unless you take the time to learn from them and learn from their their perspective, you won't understand where they're coming from. And, and you know, we could talk about that for, we could spend days talking about that. I think that's a lot of the issues we're dealing with globally now is that everybody who says, you're not looking at things from my perspective. And yet they're not taking any time to look at the opposite perspective. 
And so that's why I think we have so many tensions. And I think that's why we have so many misunderstandings in the world is that we are failing in our ability to look at the world through somebody else's shoes or eyes or experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I think the more you read, the more you study, the more you listen, uh, the more you will gain an insight and build a better perspective so that mm -hmm. you can, can address the issues that you're going to have to address in life. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you've worked with a lot of people on their investments, helping them uh, grow it, helping them fix it because somebody yeah. else screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, 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 that happens. Have you, um, have you kind of categorized as to what are the top reasons as to why certain investments don't work or why certain people don't succeed in investing? Um, okay, so let me answer the second one first and then remind me of the first one uh, <laughs> so that I can go back and touch on that one. But um, so why people fail, uh, number one is they are, more often than not, they want to get rich yesterday. Mm. And, and that's not really how solid investing works. Now, I know the news would like you to believe that, that um, you know, everybody that isn't under 40, that isn't worth a billion dollars and owns their own tech company is a failure. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm here to tell you, there are a lot more failures than there are uh, successful stories out there. Um, and I think, you know, they, they look at investing as I want, they, they have a tendency to take far more risks than they should be taking uh, early on in their investing career. Because uh, investing like school, like anything else, it's, it's a progression. It's, you know, you start knowing very little and over time you, you gain knowledge and in that knowledge comes the potential for success or failure, which allows you more knowledge so that you can uh, build on your successes and, and try to reduce or eliminate your, your failures. Um, you know, so I think, I think patience is probably the number one fault of a lot of people that get it, that want to get into investing. Um, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that want to sell you on the uh, aspect that they have all the answers. They know what the markets are going to do. Um, and that's honestly not true. I don't care what they choose because here's the reality of that. If there was an individual out there that was so brilliant and so intuitive that they knew what the markets were going to be doing on any given day, any given month, any given year, first off, you would never know who they are. <laughs> because they would be living on their own private island with everything that they could possibly have and would not be wasting any time with somebody trying to invest a few hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. It just so, so basically everybody out there is what I call for the lack of a better explanation, a student of the industry, even the financial professionals like myself, we were constantly a student of the industry, mm -hmm. constantly reading, constantly studying, uh, I mean, the amount of uh, tests and, and uh, educational curriculum that we had to to complete on an annual basis is staggering. Uh, so if you're if you're wanting to go to college, get a degree, go into your prof chosen profession, and never never have to study again, finance is not the one you want to <laughs> go into. Uh, it's kind of like being a surgeon. That's another one you just don't want to go into because you mm -hmm. will be constantly having to study and read and stay up on what's happening next because markets change 
uh, uh, things in the, in the global economy change dramatically and we are a global economy. So uh, now back to the first one, which is, um, what was that again? Do you remember? I kind of lost my train of thought too. <laughs> I know, I did too. I did too. I think it was, uh, um, so we had, you know, clients, uh, well, anyway, we'll, we, we might circle around to that, but basically <laughs> I would say, uh, oh, I, maybe this answers that first one. So it's, it's, it's basically when you're getting into investing, uh, the biggest mistake I think I see from a portfolio perspective is that people are, they read something. Uh, and they go, well, uh, you know, I should be invested in that. But they don't do anything more than read of the successes of that investment or successes of that industry and do very little about going in and looking at what's actually taken place over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is the or what is the projection of that particular investment going forward in the future? Uh, we had a we had a uh, we'd have a anecdote that we would share with people and we called it the mother-in-law effect. <laughs> so by the time your mother-in-law came to you and said, I think you should buy XYZ company, it was time to get out of that company. Uh, uh, because it's like the, the markets move so globally fast. I mean, mm -hmm. in nanosecond timeframes now, they actually have uh, companies like Goldman Sachs and others have these massive supercomputers that uh, do what's called uh, market arbitrage. So the different fluctuation in prices between London, New York, and Tokyo changes uh, uh, every, every opening and every closing. Well, there's a, there is usually a slight margin of difference in certain prices, commodity stocks, whatever it may be. These computers are so big and they operate so quickly, they actually equalize those prices within seconds. So taking advantage of a market, even a global market, has become extremely difficult. So your, mm -hmm. your best chance of being successful is hiring a, a good advisor that, that is a fiduciary, that basically isn't working for commission, that's actually working with you, yep. uh, as opposed to working for a commission check. Uh, then, then I think you know, you'll be a lot more successful because they, they should bring to the table patience uh, knowledge and insight, uh, and that's what they should be doing. And, and at times, when necessary, a stern, calming voice. <laughs> so, as you mentioned, like the the big companies have all these supercomputers and so many people looking at numbers, uh, doing projections and all that kind of stuff. The the common person who wants to jump into uh, doing stocks and buying stocks and trades and all that kind of stuff really doesn't have much of an advantage. Like they, it's, it's hard for them no to advantage. actually manage their own portfolio. Yeah, no, no, they have no advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you're on the computer. Um, you know, in order to beat, in order to, to have an outside remote possibility of, of doing well in the markets, uh, you literally have to be eat, drinking and sleeping 24 <laughs> seven the markets. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know about you, but, I was in the industry and I didn't even do that. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's too overwhelming. Um, you know, it's just, uh, so your best option really, your best option really is finding an advisor that's going to help you build a portfolio that is suited to your personality, suited to your goals, suited to your needs and, and whatever your timeframes are. 
and, and then working with them uh, on a regular basis over the course of many years. Again, that's where the patience comes in because you're, you're not going to get there overnight. Do you, do people get lucky? Yeah, all the time. I mean, they do. I mean, uh, you'll, you'll hear stories all the time about people that, you know, will tell you, I made 1200% on this deal. And I go, well, did you sell? Did you, did you sell the stock and take the gains or sell the you know, investment and take the gains? Well, no. Okay, so what's it worth today? And a lot of times, you know, people are, are lopsided because they want to tell you about these great gains they had, yeah. but they don't ever tell you about your fa their failures or their, their inability to capitalize on that great success. Um, so, so it's, again, people get lucky, but I would say, don't believe all the press releases. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're, they may not be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most of your really successful investors I found are, are very methodic. They're very methodic. They're not mm -hmm. looking to, to catch the market sleeping because it really doesn't. They're not looking for, and insider information is illegal, even though there are people that do seem to somehow <laughs> skirt that a little bit. And I won't, I won't go down that road, but mm -hmm. you know, if they get caught, there's a tremendous penalty and jail time that, that goes along with it. So uh, I think, you know, if you're, if you're gonna, if you're really going to play the game and you're going to play it the correct way, it's, it's a long haul game. It's a marathon. It, it's not a sprint and, mm -hmm. and you've got to treat it like a marathon. You have to train for it like a marathon a little bit farther every day, a little bit mm -hmm. farther every day. Yeah. Uh, and when you find something that looks exciting, I, I had clients all the time that I would say, if there's things that you want to invest in, if there's things that you feel like you really want to take a shot on, great. Let's set up an account for you. That's your play account. That's your play money. <laughs> and it's money that you don't care if you lose it or not and never invest more than you're willing to lose. Mm -hmm. So if, if you've got accounts that you just want to get crazy with, um, then, then by all means, let's set something up for you. And that's your play account. But yep. when that money's gone, it's gone. So think about that. <laughs> and and it's, getting, about that. it's getting more and more difficult now because with like, the phone, with all these apps saying like, oh. Hey, download this app. It's so easy for you to get into it. Right. And right, it, it's right. always there. Oh, people are getting testimonials about how easy it is, oh, how yeah. much money they're oh, making. Yeah. So anyway yeah i just uh, say you know we we would call that and i i don't the, so i'm going to use a phrase that i hope doesn't offend anybody but we would call a lot of those uh apps and magazine ads and tv spots we called them investment pornography Ooh. <laughs> yeah, because they were they were titillating they were exciting mm -hmm. but they were a little hollow because not everybody had that same experience mm -hmm. and so on the surface it looked great but it was empty and so we would caution people all the time. Well, if you find something that you think is that great, bring it to us. We'll be happy to run down the research on it, you know, and we would do that quite often and say, well, it looks pretty good. Do you want to use your play account? You know, or if it matched their portfolio, what they were, what they were trying to do, we would say, great, let's entertain this. Let's look and see how that's going to fit in your, in your goals. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was part of our success too, is that we're fairly open. I mean, we tried to be very open and realize that, you know, not all great ideas emanated from our office, mm -hmm. you know, that, that there were a lot of very bright and brilliant people out there. And in fact, a lot of our clients were incredibly brilliant people. 
uh, and we were very fortunate to, to get to work with a lot. I mean, we're talking, you know, a lot of attorneys and doctors and, you know, even some politicians over the years and, and you know, very, very insightful, very, very bright individuals. And so I think I think you have to realize that you don't have all the answers. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. And and looking elsewhere outside uh, for those answers isn't isn't negative. That's actually, I think, a positive when you can say, you know what, I don't know. Let me go do some research and get back to you and let's see if we can figure something out, if it makes sense. Now, over the last few years, um, the big things are crypto and NFTs and all that fancy stuff. Now, is that part of the here's your play money account or not really? <laughs> I Well, so crypto, uh, cryptocurrency is a boy. That's an odd duck in the pond. It really is. Um, there's there's from my perspective and I'm going to have I'll be I'm going to have to couch my comments so that I don't say something that would I don't want to be offensive to anybody. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, uh, cryptocurrency is one of those things we just frankly don't know enough about. It hasn't been around long enough and, and it's not regulated. So and, and we've seen tremendous abuses already uh, it, within the systems where somebody you know with a billion dollars of cryptocurrency suddenly disappears overnight and you know nowhere to be seen and then you have uh institutions like the city of miami that are converting to become you know the crypto capital of the world and and our and i think their mayor is actually being paid in cryptocurrency now so you know you've got and that's that's when i usually say okay when there is such a wide spectrum of of success and failure and how it can be used and the fact that it's not regulated and it's almost non-traceable. Um, in the financial securities world, we look at that as say, okay, this, this is absolutely a, an opportunity to money launder mm -hmm. uh, and you know, to be funding terrorism or you know, any number of things uh, because we can't, you can't track the money. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's what I want. I don't wanna track the money. I don't want it to be trackable. They don't want to pay taxes or whatever, you know, but the government is really, you know, most most countries, governments are very smart about closing loopholes so that they get their taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, they have entire divisions that are set up to do nothing but close those loopholes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think cryptocurrency is interesting. Uh, I, I've got a very small account. Uh, that does not have very much in it because I'm playing with it and it's money that if it, I lose it all, then I lose it all. And mm -hmm. it's not going to affect my ability to, to pay my bills on a daily basis. Uh, and, and what I've learned is it is extremely volatile. Uh, it moves on the suspicion of news, not necessarily hard data, but it moves on the suspicion of news, mm -hmm. which is uh, even more so than, say, the, just a, the general stock markets are. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of times uh, uh, populist sentiment or popularity, if I see that that's what's moving the price, then I, I really struggle with it as a long term investment because it's like, well, OK, if somebody can go online and say, uh, I just bought, you know, a uh, million dollars worth of this cryptocurrency and that cryptocurrency suddenly goes to the roof. Uh, I'd be willing to bet the guy that just said they put a million dollars into cryptocurrency probably sold out. Uh, several days after the announcement because the price was driven through the roof. It kind of reminds me a lot of penny stocks back in the uh, 70s mm -hmm. uh, and, and the early 80s. You could literally drive 
the valuation of a stock simply by spreading a rumor. And, and cryptocurrency is, is a little bit that way for me now. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's not something you shouldn't be looking at. I'm just saying from an investment perspective, it's more of a get rich quick kind of a deal right now than mm-hmm. I see as being a long term uh, investment portfolio. Um, you know, it's, it's working its way into the system faster than I think it should. Um, but maybe that's because I'm still a little bit old school. I, I, you know, it could be that. And I, I am a little slow to adopt, uh, new technologies, but cryptocurrency, I, I, it's fascinating. I find it very fascinating. Um, I think it could either be around for a long time or it could be gone in five years. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to say there just isn't enough. There's not enough data on it yet for right. it to really be. Uh, what I would consider to be mainstream viable, right. like a mutual fund. Mutual fund is mainstream viable. You know, there's a lot of options out there, Everybody, but everybody's heard of them. And everybody's had some experience with them, whether it's through a 401k or their personal investing or some, you know, government pension plan. You know, everybody's familiar with it. And they've got very distinct, defined rules of how they're supposed to operate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, cryptocurrency could be that in a few years. But it's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other thing you asked me about? The the NFTs. NFT, yeah. <laughs> NFTs. NFTs to me is like um, it's it's like the new collectible. It's like the new baseball card. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's again, it's fascinating. I mean, I wish I could come up with an NFT that would sell for you know several million dollars. I, I, I don't think I'm just quite that in the know or bright enough yet to figure that one out. <laughs> but it, it is a it is a younger uh, crypto and, and NFTs are definitely that 30 and younger crowd uh, type of, a, uh, of, of investment. It's got that appeal to them. Uh, that, you know, the digital world. Uh, so I think, I think based on the market that you're talking to, NFTs make more sense to the younger, uh, younger investors, so to speak. Right. The thing with NFTs is, are they really an investment? Are they really that fungible? I mean, or, or is it something that you buy it, you hang it on the wall, and the only way you're ever going to sell it is if some, <laughs> yeah, someone really, really wants it and is willing to pay more than you paid for it. Right. So it's, it's more of it's more of a uh, to me, NFTs are more of a true collectible uh, than it is any kind of investment. But mm-hmm. but uh, you will see. You never know. I mean, if <laughs> if if the you know, NFTs in, in 200 years from now are selling for millions of dollars uh, like like a like a Picasso or a Van Gogh <laughs> or, or something like a Van Klimp, you know, something like that, then then you know, great. It worked. But until we get to that point, it's just, I think it's too early on to be able to tell. So mm-hmm. it's, it's something I would, again, I, if you're going to invest in it, don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know I, I really respect that uh, perspective because lots of people goes, I don't understand it. It's going good. I'm really, I really want to try it, but then they stop in their tracks and they don't do anything. Right. Whereas you're saying, Hey, come up with a budget. If you're willing to lose it all, yeah, put that in there and see what happens. At least you're yeah. in the game, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot, a lot of investing, a lot of business. I mean, just pure business. Uh, and you, you are very familiar with this, but it's trial and error. You know, a lot of times it's trial and error. It's trying to fill the, you know, find a better way to build a mousetrap. And, <laughs> and I think, I think, you know, 
the best way I've ever described this, I would prefer, and I, I lecture, in fact, I'm, I'm lecturing next week uh, at the university again. I do this on a quarterly basis now, but um, I always tell them, I said, I would prefer that you go out and fall flat on your face right out of the gate and then realize, okay, that didn't work. And then, then you know, get up, look at what happened, look at what you did to, to get to that situation and, and then take the steps necessary to avoid that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without failure, you're not learning. Right. If you're not trying and failing, you're not winning. Mm-hmm. I mean, winners will tell you every time I've ever talked to a, a, a highly successful individual, regardless of their background, they will tell you how many times they failed before they got it right. Right. Uh, you know, I even have people in my own life close to me that go, well, everything you've done has been successful. I go, what press release are you reading? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I would joke with people, yes, I'm a, I'm a 35-year overnight success. You didn't open your closet, Nick. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, look at my closet. It's a mess in my office closet. I don't even dare keep the door open. But yeah, I mean, it's failure is the name of the game. If you want to succeed, go fail. Mm-hmm. I know that that sounds counterintuitive, but it's not. It right. really isn't. I mean, go fail. Go try something and fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I wrote I wrote more than a few books that will never see the light of day because they were terrible. You know, I, I've gone in speaking engagements and fallen flat on my face and wondered what the heck happened there. Right. Uh, I've invested in investments and lost my shorts. I've, I've put money into businesses and lost my shorts. You know, I mean, you know, my gosh, but I learned from every one of those failures and mm-hmm. every one of those failures pushed me that much closer to success. Mm-hmm. And, so, and all those, <laughs> all, all those journeys, all those failures, all those learning uh, lessons learned led you to say, you know what, I'm going to start writing children's books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, what was that like? What, did people go, you're doing what now? Or yeah. were they like, oh, that sounds right. <laughs> well, so this, so writing children's books actually came from, I was writing a lot of um, uh, industry papers and articles in the industry. Uh, and um, and I, I thought there's gotta be a better way to, to, to help people understand what I'm doing. Because when I would write, um, my, my writing style, of course, in the industry, it's very technical. And so uh, a lot of big words, a lot of, you know, a lot of diagrams, a lot of, you know, spatial theory uh, <laughs> going into play. And now and, you have to go was, down to two syllables. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, realize that the, the audience for those, those papers were basically guys like me, you know, men and women like me in the industry that, that understood the lingo. And so um, I, I took a page from Warren Buffett, who said, if I can't explain something simply, I don't invest in it. Mm-hmm. And I went, perfect. So, you know, I, I started early in my career trying to find ways to explain very simply the concepts I was trying to, to, to teach people about investing. And uh, I started coming up with anecdotes or stories and, and being, a, a, you know, growing up in the South, it kind of came quite naturally for me. I could spin a yarn with the best of them, they say. Um, and I started using stories to teach. And the story stuck with people. And, um, uh, and that's, you know, I wrote, um, I wrote a industry, well, I wrote a book for salespeople uh, 
uh, about now oh, 11, 12 years ago that uh, it was it was unique in its kind. It was very industry specific. Uh, it was focused on people that did wholesaling of financial securities products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I said, you know what? I think I could do better. So I wrote another book called The Emperor's Dilemma, which is a business fable. And that actually won an award. Uh, it, it got second place uh, in the San Francisco Book Festival back in 2011. But it was more of a it was more of an adult children's story. And that's what got me thinking. I was like going, OK, this this business fable, a lot of people remember the story. They, they don't remember where they heard it, but they remember the story and they remember the details of it. And I went, OK, I think I need to reduce the age of my audience. <laughs> I think if I could do if I could do for more children what my grandmother and grandfather did for me, mm-hmm. explaining to me in, in the way that a child learns through stories, through storytelling, uh, bedtime stories, whatever it was, that that I think I could get this to stick and start creating uh, uh, more opportunities for our youth uh, to to get positive feedback, to to see that they can make mistakes and have trial and error and and succeed and be okay, and that you don't have to be a child prodigy at, at the age of six years old because mm-hmm. not everybody's going to be a child prodigy. Uh, not everybody's going to play, uh, you know, in the, in the National Hockey League in Canada, nor are they going to play in the National Football League in, in the United States or, you know, the FIFA in Europe. They're not going to, you know, not every kid that loves to play soccer is going to make it to that level. Right. But there are things that they can learn at a young age to help them further their lives and be more successful. And that's so the books kind of started from, lecturing in the business arena at the high school and college students and to professionals. Mm-hmm. And I just started telling stories. And pretty soon I got to be one of the you know more popular people to, to speak at a lot of the conferences that I went to because I spent most of my time telling stories with a purpose behind it. You know, kind of like a, you know, Aesop's fables, as it were. You know, there was a there was a, a method to my madness. And so now the stories that I'm telling, like this one that in fact, oh here. I knew I had one like this one. Ta-da! Pablo, the plate painter of Mazatlan. I don't mm-hmm. even see that very well, but uh, but uh, that came about because you know I was in Mexico and I, I I saw this guy painting and was fascinated with how quick he painted and how how good he was. And pretty soon, you know, people would come by the table and and he would say, "Yeah, well, is there something you special you want?" And he, they would go, "Oh, well, could you paint me laying on the beach? Could you paint me parasailing? Could you paint me hiking?" And he goes, "Sure." And he would like whip, whip it out in like no time flat. And I thought, "Wow, okay, now that's not a skill he learned overnight." Yeah. And and on so I was there on vacation for about a week, and I went by every single day that he was there, mm-hmm. and waited till he was done towards the end of the day, and I would start asking him questions because I was inquisitive. I've always been naturally curious. And he told me his story. And he told me about growing up in a small village and his family didn't have much. And he enjoyed art and, you know, painting and drawing. And his, you know, mom got him, introduced him to a teacher. And that teacher instructed him over years. And over his lifetime, he became this individual. And and I, I was starting to calculate how much he was making a day in Mexico. And this is clear back in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy, the equivalent today would be several hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, that he was making in Mexico painting plates for tourists. 
you know, and I thought, unbelievable. Here's wow. a, here's a, here's a global success, success story, someplace that people may not necessarily think mm -hmm. that there would be success. And yet this man has created a wonderful life for him and his family. He's, you know, I, I, I lost track of him, but, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he's, he's probably no longer with us now. I mean, he was rather elderly when I met him, but, uh, you know, here's a, here's an individual that, 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 took something that he enjoyed doing and, and created a life for himself mm -hmm. and, and taught others, you know? And so I said, there's a story there. So I started telling the story when I would speak at high school and college events back in the eighties. And I thought this would make a really good children's story. So after I wrote the business, wrote the business fable, I went, I, I think I, I think I could write children's stories. Cool. And I started writing children's stories. And our first, my first children's story is, has, met with far more success than I ever thought it would. I mean, it hasn't sold a tremendous amount because it's only been out for a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. But the industry accolades have been staggering. It's very humbling. And we've already got another one in the works, a Christmas story for next year. Uh, we hope to have done and uh, hopefully a series after that. But again, I failed an awful lot before I ever wrote a good one. So, you know. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the success of that. And I'm looking forward to all the, the next one and the next one and then a whole <laughs> series of them. Also, uh, our, our time has flown by very, very fast. I, I've been very fascinated with everything you've been saying. I've learned a lot about investing as well. Um, but before I let you go, um, I got a few more short questions. But one last formal question for you is, let's say if I put you on the world stage and uh, you have a few sentences, a few minutes to share one message that you want everybody in the world to remember Craig for. What would that one message be? There's a quote, one of my favorite quotes uh, by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It is nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. That's what I would share. Very good. Very powerful. And as, I, as I'm sure lots of people can tell, you have a lot of enthusiasm in everything that you do, whether it's numbers to explain <laughs> why, uh, what, what your thoughts are about crypto, and then also writing children's book. Uh, you're very enthusiastic. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I gravitated to you when, when you spoke was like, this person is energetic. I really want to get to know him <laughs> and, and hear more about what he does. Um, I got last five questions before you go. And they're fast questions. Um, you're stranded on a deserted island. One food to eat for the rest of your life, no consequence. What would that be? One food to eat the rest of my life, no consequences. Oh, <laughs> pasta. Hollywood calls and go, Craig, wow, your life is amazing. We want to do a biopic on you, but you get to choose who plays you. Who would you cast? Uh, does it matter what era they're from? Does it have to be a modern movie star? Doesn't matter. Cary Grant. Awesome. Cary Grant shows up at your door and hey, Craig, I got casted to play you. Um, let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. Boy, I'm hungry. And you go, hey, hey, buddy, don't worry about it. I'll go cook you up something great. What's that special dish that you can cook? Oh, I, I can cook a lot of special dishes. Uh, <laughs> I would probably. What's I your 10 course probably, meal that you're going to make? <laughs> yeah, I would probably say, honestly, uh, bourbon Asian sticky ribs. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, my own recipe. Uh, if you were on a car in a car ride, and for whatever reason, there's only one song that's stuck on a loop that goes over and over again. <laughs> You're in this ride for hours. What's that oh. one song you don't mind listening to and you won't get sick of? 
<laughs> oh man you're already thinking you're getting sick of it <laughs> yeah i know i'm like going what could i tolerate for that long um bohemian rhapsody by queen oh wow you'll, you'll be head banging the whole time oh yeah <laughs> and before i get to my last question give me a number from one to four three one two three so how would you relate success to a storage box Ooh. So how is success like a storage box? Actually, you know, it's more similar than I, I, I would, that I initially thought, but success is, success is merely a culmination of your experiences. And, and one of the things that we, we can do as, as human beings is that we can hold on to negative or positive. And that's our choice going back to where we are started our conversation. And, and what we choose to put in that storage box will determine our future success or failures. So I would say, take all the positive things in your life, uh, all the successes. And remember, I, I look at failures as being positive too, if they move you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say that that storage box now becomes your file folder. And anytime that you need to, to go back and revisit something when you're going through something tough in your life, whether it's personal loss, whether it's financial loss, uh, whether you're just having a bad day or you know your boss yelled at you or a client yelled at you, go back to that storage box and pull out those positive things that, that reinforced your reason for being where you're at today. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our lives are a culmination of the experiences that we've had in life. And, and, and that storage box is our ability to go back and access it like memories. The storage box is, is our memories. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well done. That's how success is like a storage box. So yeah. if anybody wants to get in touch with you, get your books, uh, what's the best way? Um, we have a website, craigtheauthor.com. Uh, 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 you can uh, see it. You can get it, uh, come there and get information about uh, the book and, and our future projects. Uh, the book is available on Amazon and it's available uh, through Amazon in the U.S., Canada, England, France, Germany, Italy, Australia, Japan, and Brazil, I think. So pretty much anywhere. So All the above. <laughs> pr pretty much. And India. Did I say India? I think it's available in India too. Anyway, but no, just Amazon. Just go to your, your uh, local Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the book is there, Pablo, the plate painter of Mazatlan. I think the business fable is on there too. Uh, we may or may not pull that one here shortly. It's been out for about 11 years, oh, wow. but, uh, but Pablo is, we're focusing on children's books now. I think it's, it's, it's a good read. Your grandkids, your kids, if they're between the ages of three and eight are going to love it. It's we're, we're getting such great feedback on it. It's such a positive story. Very inspirational. Awesome. Um, I can't help but notice, did you go harpooning? Uh, that's a spear gun. Yeah, that's a spear gun. So yeah, being on the island, you, you have a tendency to, to pick up things that you would never think of doing when you live on the mainland. Cool. So yeah, I've got, I've got boogie boards in the, in the garage, a surfboard in the garage, and I've got a spear gun so, and fishing <laughs> poles. So I am living the island life. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. Um, once again, thank you very much for your time. Any last words from you? Uh, go live your life and fail a lot as long as it leads to more success. Thank you, Fong.
Good words to live by. So for everybody, make sure you uh, get in touch with Craig or uh, pick up a copy of his books. Um, great guy. I had a great time. Uh, this time has gone very, very fast, and I do not regret any of it because it was absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Uh, for everybody else, his name is Craig. My name is Fong Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to lock your peak potential. We'll see you later.